Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Stern Chats. I'm Daniel Yellen. We're reaching into the Stern Chats vault again to bring you a conversation with Fran Gormley, who's an adjunct professor of marketing here at Stern and a branding genius. Fran gives us insight into her portfolio of experience in branding and innovation, where she's helped institutions like J.P. Morgan Chase and Citibank create their next generation of products and services. She also gives advice to those of us who might be interested in a career in brand strategy. This episode was hosted by Andrea Cease and Nika Landinger of the class of 2020. Honestly, this conversation is a masterclass in how to think about branding, so I hope you enjoy it. Let's go. From New York University Stern campus, this is Stern Chats, the podcast that tells the hidden stories between the lines of someone's resume. In the interest of serving the Stern community, building relationships, and unlocking important life lessons, we present these stories to a wider audience. I am a brand strategist, and I specialize in brand positioning, which is really finding a brand's North Star, the thing that's going to guide it for the next 10, 15 years. And so I specialize in naming brands, positioning them, Uh, architecture, like what's their information hierarchy, and also visual identity strategy. So I work a lot with designers on creating a brand's visual world. I know there's a lot of talk about like the fear of automation in jobs, and I feel like your job is probably the one that is most protected against like robots coming in and taking over because it takes that real human touch and that knowledge and that creativity that I, I find hard to to capture. I believe that that's true. I think you can have all the data in the world, but in order to be a good strategist, you have to be able to leap to what is the creative idea that's going to fuel the brand. And I don't think machines are at the point where they can do that yet. Okay, so how did you get involved in this? What did you study? Um, what were your first jobs in this industry? So I went to Rutgers University and studied social psychology. I was in the PhD program, and I was doing a lot of very large-scale survey research with professors. And I was really tired. It was my third year of being poor. So I was living on a very minor stipend. I had spent years growing up with no money, and it really just, like, got to me that summer. And I had heard that you could get a job in advertising. And I literally knew nothing about advertising. I went to the library. I found a book. I sent out 100 resumes. And I ended up getting two interviews and two offers. And, but I really didn't have any idea what I was getting myself into. That's really interesting that you say that, but I know that we've previously spoken with you. You've told us a lot about some of the different projects you were able to take on in your different roles. Would you mind elaborating on that? Yes. Yeah, so um, I spent many, uh, you know, several years, eight years at an ad agency, and I worked in their insights group or their planning group. I worked in account management. Uh, helping them run an account, and I did a lot of concept development, which is really uh, positioning work. Um, It really was at the agency that I started to realize, because people told me that I had a talent for this naming brands and positioning, and um, uh, one of the large clients started to pay the agency a retainer to have me develop concepts, and so I started to understand that I had a talent. At that agency, I had only worked on um, CPG accounts, 
And so I wanted to get experience in another industry. Uh, just intuitively, I was like, well, I should know more than one industry if I'm going to be a consultant. Mm -hmm. And I went to Citibank, which I felt like I landed on the moon. Um, it was a very, very different culture. And they had hired me as director of positioning for the credit card division. And from there, I took on new products and advertising. Um, I, I think that I have a creative talent, and I didn't know it until I got into the workplace. All right. Can you tell me a little bit about the challenges and skills you were able to build at Citibank? I know you said you started with CPG, but it sounds like you wanted to gain uh, a more robust and well-rounded tool set by moving into something financial. Could you talk a little more about that? Yes. The, the real advantage for, uh, to me for Citibank was at Citibank, I was really able to craft kind of a methodology or an approach for developing. So... There I was permitted to do four or five exploratories a year or searches for new innovation, and they were pretty open to what I wanted to do in terms of they hadn't had this function before, and so and their new products group was abysmal. It had a lot of failures. So once I, uh, five months after I got there, I got a hit, you know, I put something in the market and it worked. Um, they were like, you should take on new products. But they, they, they didn't have, they weren't rigid, so they were open. So everything that I had learned at the agency, all my research skills I had learned at graduate school, I really was able to devise a system there. Um, and so that was the biggest benefit, in addition to learning another category, was to kind of figure out how to best do this. And I believe branding is a craft. I don't believe you can learn branding out of a textbook. And most of what I read in the textbooks, even from the great business schools, are not what really happens in the real world. And I think it's just a skill that you learn by practicing it. And in class, I hope to give students an appreciation for the world so that they know how to commission this work and how to judge it. Awesome. That's really great to hear. Uh, so you did bring up that you bring a lot of these lessons in the classroom. Could you talk to us a little bit more how you transitioned from consulting to banking, CPG, and now you're in the classroom? Yes. Yeah, so uh, early in my career, I set out saying I, if I had this talent for branding, I wanted to show it in as many categories as possible. So I've also done healthcare, some in technology, nonprofits, and I love working on things that are extremely different. Right now I'm doing a financial services company rebrand, a digital healthcare technology company, and a C new CPG product. So I love that excitement. And in the classroom, uh, I update every lecture. I did this at 6 this morning. I update every lecture before I go in with new things that I'm thinking about, something I might have come across in terms of actually doing the work. Uh, I show a lot of examples from my career. In Consulting Lab, I show a lot of presentations I've given clients, and in Brand Strategy, um, I try to demonstrate you know, principles and concepts by showing examples, but real-life examples, the real concept that the company studied to launch Chase Freedom and put $165 million behind it. How did they make that decision? I show you that. I show you the work, what was the insight, how did they test it, and um, so we talk about those examples. 
as a former student, I really appreciate how you really went. Uh, she, a friend had a Saturday session in which she gave us the fundamentals of brand strategy for those of us in her consulting lab um, module. And what I feel like is really hard for lay people to understand is kind of the difference between positioning and branding and advertising and what is a brand statement? Like, what, do, what does all this mean? And if you could maybe dispel some of the... Yeah, I, I mean, it. again, positioning and branding all comes down to what is the idea? What is the name? What's the verbal language you're going to succinctly use to describe the brand? Uh, you know, what what is its North Star? And then what is its visual identity? What's its visual vocabulary? I think one of the most fundamental things today is a lot of um, practitioners and companies are out there saying that positioning is dead because we're living in this digital era and we don't build brands with advertising anymore. We're more experience-based. Well, that already is old news anyway. But positioning is not dead. Positioning is not the same as messages. Messages tend to be more functional, more attributes, 24-7, this works three times faster. Positioning tends to be about the higher order brand idea, the space that you really want to own in somebody's mind. And you are always going to need positioning. You're always going to need the North Star to make your dollars work effectively and all the time and the commitment that you put into building a brand. So I think that this is just people's way of trying to get your attention and trying to convince you that they have some magic formula or answer that no one else does when in fact they don't. <laughs> That's great. You mentioned taste freedom before in your work there. Could you maybe use the framing of, of what we talked about with positioning and brand message to explain exactly what you did for that? Yeah, part? Chase Freedom was an interesting um, uh, new product in, or innovation in that, one, the bank wasn't looking for it. So it came out of some other work that we did, and it was just a very interesting idea that consumers were responding to. Um, and we did it for Chase when they were merging with Bank One, so we had to convince lots of people. <laughs> but in terms of the name, who would think that you could name a credit card Freedom? I mean, it launched in 2006, and as I said, debit cards were not as prevalent then. And there is an aspect of credit cards that is kind of like an addiction. You can overspend, you can get yourself into trouble. Many people know this. So a credit card giving you freedom is an interesting concept. It's a broad concept, but we linked it to the ability to choose your reward, then change your mind. So in the line was a reward card so flexible it had to be called freedom. But it's a big concept, freedom, on a, on a brand. And so Chase has been able to extend this, to market this successfully for over a decade. It's a very large Main Street portfolio for them, and that's a good brand idea. A good brand idea has some breadth to it. It has other meanings that you can pull and add on, and, and you can envision how it can last for a really long time. It's not a brand idea if it only lasts for two to three years. It's a brand idea when it lasts for a decade or two decades. We want long-term big ideas. I think one of your talents is when you explain these things, you make it sound so simple and so easy. But knowing from experience how hard it is to really get that right statement and that right vision. Um, I know you mentioned sometimes you'd be walking your dog or taking a spin class and you'd have an aha moment. And other times you'd be doing really long focus groups with consumers. How, how do you kind of split your time to be able to get to these types of 
breakthroughs? Well, I find that uh, when we're in the middle of trying to think of a creative idea or, or, or a brand selling idea or a name or any of this, that I'm always thinking about it in the back of my mind until it's solved. It, it, it never really leaves my mind. It's a good thing I enjoy this. Um, but it becomes like a game, like you're putting a puzzle together and you have all these pieces. The digital healthcare company that I'm working with right now, it's so complex. So I would say it took like eight weeks almost to really get down to, well, what is the heart of this? And we actually presented that work this morning, and they, 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 they reacted very positively to it. But when you simplify all this complexity, they go, aha, you know, and it does seem like it is simple, but it isn't simple. That's really interesting. I know you previously mentioned before that a lot of people think brand strategy just isn't as important anymore. And I know we're moving very fast now with social media and trends and whatnot. Have you seen uh, brand strategy changing in the methodology you have to use or the images or even keeping the attention span of a consumer as a result of this? Uh, I, you know, every company has a different model or framework that they use to express their brands and to study their multiple brands. So, um, and in my class, I show lots of different frameworks. I mean, I must know at least 10 frameworks that, that are different. I think that in terms of how you express the idea, we do it differently. We don't say positioning concepts anymore. We say positioning manifestos. We change the language. There's a huge focus on values right now. How does the brand align with the consumer's or people's values? That's very important. A huge focus on purpose-driven brands. Um, and yes, so, so the, 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 the cultural context has changed. Uh, consumers, people have changed, of course, you know, um, and we have different trends. But you're still looking to take all of that and a fundamental truth about a brand and marry this all together into something that's going to last a long period of time. So I don't think brand ideas are not influenced by communication channels. A great brand idea can go in any channel, and in fact, can go into channels we can't even envision because we're, it's, we're not stopping. Social media is not the end of our communications evolution. We, we will have new forms of communication that we can't imagine today. A good brand idea can go in every channel. So it's social media, uh, you know, online, in-person, events, outdoor, print, any, any medium. We're into sonic branding now. Brand ideas must be able to transcend all channels. And that is not going to change. I do not believe. That's very interesting, yes. So as you were discussing these chances and showing it's transcending, do you ever have where you have to work with difficult clients or really work to convince them of an innovative idea that you are trying to push? Can you tell us about that process? Yes. Um, so <laughs> I would say that some of the biggest projects, my biggest case histories that have done the best, <laughs> um, uh, that initially some clients didn't like them. And in, in fact, at one point when I was doing a lot of work for uh, on Bausch and Loam, the division president told the CEO we should just fire her. She's kind of a pain. 
And I was really pushing them into creating a new brand, which they really didn't want to do. But there was an enormous opportunity and very practical reasons for why they should do this. Um, I think that a good brand strategist, like someone who works in innovation, has to be a truth sayer. And you have to learn to say it in a way that doesn't put people off. So uh, you can't repeat to a client back what they've told you exactly in a brief. You have to bring something new to it. And the value of an external consultant is that you have a different perspective than they have internally. And it's your job to show them the white space, the new opportunity. And if a client resists in the beginning or has all these reasons why it won't work, I'm often not phased. I'll try to just address them as, you know, these days I try to be calmer, but, you, you know, and um, realize, because I have the experience that um, initially a lot of people thought Chase Freedom wasn't a strong enough idea. Um, a lot of people thought BioTrue, which is an, another one of our big case histories, that that just wasn't something that this company did. Um, and, and that's a very successful case history. So, um, and the digital healthcare client we're working with today doesn't need, think it needs to change its brand's visual identity, but we're, we're getting them there. I think you just have to lay out the arguments and move, and move it along. But if you're going to work in this space, you cannot... Um, get thrown, and you 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 have to have passion and conviction in the work that you're do, that you're delivering to clients, and you have to thoughtfully overcome obstacles. And if you're not resilient, this is probably not a good area for you because people's first reaction to new things is often no, because no one really likes change. We say we like change, <laughs> but in the reality change can make people uncomfortable. In this vein, I think I remember in class you mentioning a client who, I don't know if they had an idea for a camera phone or something yes. that would like predates, would have predated the iPhone, but something hampered its execution. Or Can you speak on that anecdote? I thought it was really great. Yeah, so I won't name the company, but there was a telecommunications company that had the idea to marry a phone and a camera long before Apple had that idea. And they wanted to, quote, just throw that idea out in focus groups without a fully developed concept without saying how it was going to work, without a prototype, without anything. And people were like, why do I want that? I have, a I have a camera, I have a phone, I don't want that. And the client, who is no longer, this company is no longer in business, the client walked away from it. And even at that time, I was like, wait, they can't envision it. If they can't envision it, you need to show them more. You need to develop the idea. So it's always a mistake to think that you can get an idea on a rough and dirty concept, in my opinion. Because if it's truly revolutionary, people need to come a little bit on the journey of what is that going to be, how is that going to work, and how is that going to fit into my life. And so this, this company gave up on something that could have transformed them on the basis of not putting enough energy into developing it before you try to evaluate it. That's a pretty interesting thing. I know uh, Stern and a lot of uh, 
different trends now are really pushing innovation and entrepreneurs. Could you speak a little bit more about how you would fully flesh out an idea? Because I know it's a balance between the resources you may have, but then also if you can't necessarily get any buy-in from consumers or your company, then there's no point. Could you discuss balancing that? Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, a lot of people are like, build it fast and break it, right? But I'm not saying that it costs a lot of money, but if you can't, like, write one or two paragraphs, let's say one paragraph, like, if you, if you can't write what the idea is and then somehow have an illustration or a way it would work to help people conceptualize it, then what will you have? I mean, it... it, it people need they need the idea explained a little bit they they need some context around it um before they can appreciate the idea and one thing that i've learned in my career is it is not a good idea to kind of hint to your idea until you've developed it a little bit you really have to have a concept um before because people won't know what you're talking about, and every word has to be carefully chosen, and how you visualize it, you really have to think about that. But people need that to be able to evaluate an idea. And uh, Steve Jobs, you know, they, they, in his biography, you know, he gives n numerous examples of this, and this is why he, he, he would say there's no point, in, in, or there often isn't a point in doing research, because people can't dream of something that they don't already have. And so he wanted every aspect to be right. I mean, there is a balance between it, but y you have to have enough that people can envision what are you talking about so that you don't lose a big idea um, simply because, uh, you know, people are like, you know, well, I already have that or I have another way to do it and they can't envision how it would make their lives better. I mean, now we can't envision why we need a camera. <laughs> when you're working within a team, I would imagine there's, one, a lot of teamwork, but then a lot of, like, self-work. How do you, what would you say that the proportion of time you spend in this core team developing an idea and how much do you spend on your own um, brainstorming, doing that deep self-work? Um, I would say two-thirds of the time is spent um, doing it alone so that w when I do sit with my creative partners, it, it, I really have a point of view and have been through everything and really have thought this through and then get their perspective on it. I know what questions and things I want to discuss with them. I do value my partner's times and, you know, so um, I, I think it's probably two-thirds, one-third. Can you talk about your transition from Citibank, where you chose to go next, and what prompted that decision? Okay, so there were two factors that prompted me to want to transition from Citibank. The first was that uh, I had learned the financial services category, and as I said, I wanted to go on and do this work across multiple categories. That was a big, like, fueling passion of mine was to do this branding and positioning work as, in, in as many categories as possible. Um, the second was that uh, while I was at Citibank, I had my daughter, and I really wanted more flexibility in terms of my time, especially in terms of travel and research. And while I love my work and still do, 
I wanted to be a mom, and I didn't want to feel like I had to make a decision on do I get to enjoy motherhood or do I get to work. In fact, it always annoys me when people say that you have to make a choice because I don't believe that you have to make a choice. I believe that women can integrate both. And so a huge factor why I started my own company was I wanted to control my schedule. I wanted to be closer to home uh, uh, with my daughter. And um, I will tell you that when my daughter graduated from high school, I felt like I was there for all the important moments. I think I missed one school event in 13 years, 12 years. Um, and that was because I could control my own schedule and being at school for her events was a priority. So I consider myself a very lucky woman in that I'm very fulfilled in, having, in being a mother and I feel like I did a good job. And I also feel like I've had a rewarding, great career. And I do believe that women can have it all and I think it's a mistake to let anyone tell you that you can't have it all. And that's awesome. I feel like there's a collective sigh of relief from <laughs> all the <laughs> women MBAs at Stern. Maybe we can talk a little bit about some of your recent clients that students have worked with. I took your brand consulting lab class last fall and our client was Spotify. Can you talk a little bit about how you source clients for that class? Yes, so um, in the consulting lab, we have had Citibank, MasterCard, BlackRock, Spotify, Time Inc., and National Geographic. Um, with the exception of Spotify and BlackRock, all of the other clients are personal connections. And so I reached out to CMOs asking them to be involved in the class because we want them to ask the class a high level branding and innovation question. Um, in terms of Spotify, um, I met somebody on a panel that I moderated for Stern and pursued, it, pursued getting that client to come into class. Um, I think at this point, MasterCard has been in the class four times and wants to be in five times, and their global CMO is a big advocate. So. We have examples of what we've done in this class. Clients have implemented some of the work. Um, and we have very satisfied clients. So it's a great collaboration between the students who get to work on and, and see all of a client's brand strategy in depth and hear from uh, senior executives and go through all of their data, uh, as well as um, each team, there are five teams in the class, each team gets to work with a designer. So we bring the visual uh, identity or visual branding into class, which is really not done a lot at uh, business schools. And so we marry that and, and uh, teach you how to brief designers, work with designers, and really bring your ideas and a brand to life. Could you tell us a little bit more about some yeah. of the past projects you've done in Consulting Lab? Would you be able to share some details? Yes, I, I won't uh, name a, a client, but I'll share details. So we've done things like develop an employer brand. Employer brands are very, very important these days because it's a very competitive job market and companies really have to rethink their values and their purpose and how they present it to the newer generations, to millennials and Gen Z. So we've done employer branding. 
Uh, we've looked at legacy brands, how to make them more purpose-driven. We've looked at brands in terms of how to expand their frame of reference, so how to expand the category that they're in, how, how to put them on a growth path. How has branding changed over the years? What types of requests do you get from clients that perhaps you didn't see five or ten years ago? So I think branding definitely has changed. Um, I think that clients are wrestling to be more purpose-driven, and we see this across industries. I think um, clients are also and brands are wrestling with um, technology. You know, every, every company believes that they're a tech company, although now that with TechLash, who knows if this trend will um, stay. But so... Uh, the context in which the brands are perceived. Clients are very concerned about that. I think the biggest thing that's changed in branding is you have a concept, you have an idea for a brand, but you always show it. You always show how will it come to life. And historically, you would show that via ads, and we don't do that anymore. Now we show it in terms of mobile, social media, apps, um, experiences. So we have to take the, the brand idea and demonstrate that, in fact, it's broad and, and um, it's a 360 idea, but we demonstrate it differently than in the past. Um, How do you stay on top of like the latest developments and in, in good, uh, effective branding? Is it really industry specific? Do you do your research in the, the pot of the client you're dealing with or just broadly? Are there, are there ways you can keep sharp? I, I will say that I'm, I'm very grateful to, to Stern. Uh, being able to teach brand strategy is really a blessing. Uh, it allows you to have experts. Uh, it allows you to learn about brands that you want to know more about because you can invite them to being guest speakers. Uh, I think in terms of consulting lab, I always uh, pick clients who have a lot of work and are very serious about branding. Uh, you get to see uh, how they're monitoring trends, uh, what their latest frameworks are. Uh, it, right now for Citibank, who's our client this semester, they actually came in last week and they haven't made a decision on a big brand idea and they showed us the alternatives and we're going to evaluate them for them and we're going to help them make this very important decision. And so I think one of the ways I stay current is that Stern is a great foundation uh, for me to get more engaged. And um, I think the other thing is just that at this point, I'm pretty connected to a lot of people in the industry. <laughs> well, which brands would you say that you would definitely love to work with in the future? And can you name some companies that you think are just doing amazing at brand strategy and are companies to really watch? That's a hard question because without the actual facts, you don't know who's really doing great with their branding. And mm -hmm. I try not to be an armchair chair theorist where I look at brands that I haven't worked on and make judgment calls about them, which is why in class the examples are all things that I've personally worked on because it's almost impossible to know how effective something really has been. And, a, you know, so that's one thing. What was the first part of your question? 
with, is there like a dream brand or company you'd you know, really like to develop? I always wanted to work on a perfume. I always wanted to name a perfume uh, and work on the design of a perfume. So I've gotten close in terms of, uh, you know, uh, personal products, skincare brands, but I've never done that perfume. But a perfume is pure emotion. And pure emotion, pure aspiration, it's dreamlike, it's creating a mythology. I love perfumes, but I don't know that I'll ever be able to do one. I also always wanted to work on a politician, but I've mm. been cured of that given our latest climate. Oh, <laughs> dear. <laughs> For somebody who's interested in entering a career like yours, how might you recommend they, they leverage their time at Stern or before Stern to make sure they're their best positioned, not to use branding strategy, branding <laughs> jargon positioning? Um, I, I think in terms, I, I think the branding category is, uh, the, I think the industry is undergoing massive change. And I would think that anyone who wants to get into the branding field needs to enter the field with the expectation that they're going to start their own company and they're going to have a new model for doing business. Because I think what MBA students bring to this field that others cannot is the whole full understanding of how a business operates. And this is an industry that itself is in need of innovation and fresh approaches. And I think that Stern MBA students are in a perfect position to do this. But if you want to enter this industry, you should enter it with the, um, with the goal I mean, you can have lots of goals, but one great goal to have would be to enter this with how you're going to change this industry. A lot of the profitability is being impacted in this industry, except for the top players. And I do believe that there are new models and um, Stern MBA students could be on the forefront of that. So a question that we get asked as students when we're applying is, why Stern? So we would love to ask you, why did you pick Stern? There are a number of, of great universities in the area that you could have gone to. I think that, that Stern um, gets many, many creative students. I think that being attracted to where Stern is in the village, I think that Stern is different than Columbia, than Yale, than other MBA programs. For me, the reason why I teach at Stern, and I wouldn't want to teach anywhere else, is I think that the Stern students are creative, they're resilient, they're hardworking, um, and they have a different energy to them than I would imagine students at other schools have. That's awesome. Thank you for saying so cool. that. <laughs> um, so I know that you said you can't write a textbook on brand strategy, but if anyone could, I feel like it could be you, and I'd be the first to buy it. <laughs> well, thank you. I, I actually am in the process of consider. I am considering right now writing a book on branding, oh, wow. more like a, a handbook on mm -hmm. how do you do it, what are the principles, and... Um, I do think that the industry could use it, um, and I also think that 
Um, it's it's it, it's a big topic. It's a difficult topic, and um, a lot of people, when they start out in marketing and branding, could probably use a book that is like a guidebook. Well, we appreciate you for definitely coming in and joining us in the studio and sharing so much of your background and your stories. Thank Good. you so much. You're welcome. Thank you.